Hey, and welcome back to The Caption Life. I'm your co-host and TV slash film reviewer, Sean. And in this mini episode, I'm reviewing Marvel Studios Hawkeye episode four entitled Partners. Am I right? So if you haven't watched this episode yet from Hawkeye, press pause on this podcast episode. Go watch it and then come back now. Let's do this, bro. Hey, welcome to The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society and vice versa. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. You can also find out more information and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. So before we get started with this episode, I want to share with you all that I'm actually experimenting with a new format for these TV and film reviews. So prior to this one, I was doing an episode breakdown where I would go through the episode from beginning to end and just kind of walk through what was going on in the episode and kind of give my thoughts as we went through it. Um, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit more of a higher level discussion and I'm going to pick out specific themes and scenes from the episode. And so it really does require you to have watched the episode at least once. So you know what I'm talking about here. So after listening to this podcast episode, let me know what you think of the setup. I'd love to get your feedback on this. And I do want to give a shout out and thank you to the people who did give feedback on this structure. TK of There Was an Idea podcast, Geek Peak podcast, FTO Nerd Talk podcast, Ronnell Whitaker, Lauren from Hops Geek News, Tony Schaub, Molly Farnsley, Trey from MCU Need to Know podcast, Chris from Instagram, Friendly Neighborhood CT is what he goes by, and Three Geeks Podcast. Thank you all very much. If I forgot to mention you, please let me know, and I'll include that in the next episode. But definitely check out these great friends of the show. You all are just amazing. So thank you very much. And the last shout out I want to give is to Paperweight Entertainment Podcast, and I'll put a link to their show in the show notes here. But earlier this week, they brought me onto their show to talk about episode four of Hawkeye. And I had a lot of fun with them. And they were just a great group of guys to talk to. And we had a great conversation about not just this episode, but we also discussed Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse part one trailer that dropped. And we also talked about Daredevil coming back into the MCU. So it was a great conversation. So definitely check out that episode and that podcast as well. And then finally, this is your final spoiler alert. This is point of no return. So if you have not seen episode four of Hawkeye yet, please put this podcast on pause. Go watch that show first and then come back because I am going to be talking about things in the episode that will be spoilers for you if you haven't seen it. So in talking about episode four, Partners, Am I Right?, let me start off with the negatives first, and I hope I don't break the glass ceiling for you here when I share these things, um, but I think that I want to get this out of the way because I love this series, and I think there's a lot of great things about them. I haven't seen a whole lot of issues with this yet, but I do want to kind of just mention these things I've noticed in this episode and kind of get out of the way. So first of all, for some reason, this episode felt really short. I didn't get that feeling with the other episodes at all, but I definitely did for this one, and it wasn't any longer or shorter than the other episodes. Episodes. It was still 40 minutes, just like the other ones. But when it ended, I was like, oh, that's it. So I thought it flew by really quick. And it's not an issue necessarily, but it's just something I noticed. But here are some of the issues I did have with this episode. And they're writing issues. And I'll kind of share what I noticed that I thought was problematic. And I'll explain why I think this may have happened. So first of all, at the opening scene and going back to the end of episode three, where we saw that Kate and Clint goes into the Bishop penthouse and they walk in and Kate says, no one is around and they're talking at normal volume levels. And then at the end of episode three, we see that Jack is holding up the Ronin sword up to Clint's throat. And then all of a sudden in episode four, at that same scene, Eleanor comes out and says, what is everybody doing here? I thought it was a little weird that they didn't hear Clint and Kate come in earlier. And plus, Eleanor is the CEO of a security company. You would think she would have an alarm installed in her own penthouse. And the fact that they were able to go in and didn't have to turn off the alarm or anything like that. I just thought that was a little odd that this happened and that Eleanor wasn't notified that someone came into her house that wasn't her or Jack, right? 
The other issue I had was Clint stealing the Ronin sword. Now, if you remember this in the scene where they're sitting at the table, he looks over and saw the Ronin sword fully extracted and leaning by the doorway. And then Eleanor offers to walk Clint out of the penthouse. And so she does that and he walks out with her and then he goes in the elevator. And next thing we know, Clint shows us the Ronin sword that he got and it's fully retracted. And if you remember from the previous episodes, when you retract and open up the sword, it makes a little, you know, sling sound, right? I hope you appreciate that sound effect there. But how did Clint steal that with nobody noticing and then retract it with nobody hearing that as well too, right? So again, that was an issue that they didn't explain how he was able to do that. And I've said this in all the other episodes, but the texting in this series so far is so bad. Like, I don't understand how you could tell me that they can CGI arrows in this show. They could CGI Captain America's cowl onto his face after the fact. And I don't know if you know this, but in Falcon Winter Soldier, when Sam Wilson gets the new costume from Wakanda, when they recorded this, the cowl doesn't really stick to his face. But then when you go back and watch the episode, it actually seems like it's snug on there. And they had to CGI that. So they do some amazing stuff with CGI. But for some reason, they can't make it look like their thumbs are texting the right message. But for some reason, they can't make it look like that they're texting, that they're typing in the message that they're texting, right? It's just, it's so bad. Like the thumbs don't even get near the letters that's being shown on the screen. So I wish they really would fix this and hopefully they'll fix it in episode five and six. I doubt it, but we'll see. It just bothers me that you're watching the thumbs and it's not reflective of what you're seeing them type in. Next, another issue I had is Kate meets Officer Wendy for the first time at the LARPer practice session, right? And they never met before. Kate comes in as a stranger to Officer Wendy and says that she's on Avengers business and that she is partner slash best friends with Hawkeye. And she asked the officer to commit evidence tampering to get back the trick arrows. And the officer said, sure, I'll help you out. Like, in what universe does an officer do that? Even if she was there for biz- for for Avengers business, right? Like, that just seemed way too easy to convince her to get the trick arrows back. And then the rooftop scene where we see that Maya, Kate, Clint, and Yelena, that we find out later on, is fighting on top of the rooftop. Maya Lopez somehow, while on her side, kicks Kate across six feet in the air, over the rooftop opening, where we thought she was going to fall in, but she hits the other side. I'm sorry, this is just unrealistic. Like, especially with Maya not having any super strength at all. Like, how is she able to kick somebody in the air and go six, eight feet across like that? Like, that was just unrealistic. But I will say that when I had a conversation with this on the Paperweight Entertainment Podcast, they mentioned that maybe in her prosthetic, she had a hydraulic-powered leg that was able to do that. And that would explain it, but we didn't see that in the episode. But... If they did explain it that way, I would totally buy that. I think that would be plausible. And the other issue I had was that some of the story development here seemed really rushed. And I'll give you one example of this here. So at the beginning of the episode, we see Kate opening up to Jack, warming up to him, and that he's a good person and was really good with her mom as well, too. In fact, she said that she's never seen her mom this happy before, right? And so it looks like they're really starting to mesh well together and that she's kind of letting down her guard with him. And then immediately in the next scene, she clams up when Clint tells her that Jack may be involved with the tracksuit mafia since he is the CEO of Sloan Limited. And again, I wish they developed this more. And maybe this is because they didn't have a whole lot of episodes or anything like that. But there's just little things like this in this episode that seems like the story was really rushed like this. And I think the reason for this is because they're probably cut for time. We're only getting six episodes. And honestly, I wish we had more episodes. I wish we had eight or 12 even, because I think there's just a lot to unpack here. And there's a lot of areas that we could explore. And I think that's probably what happened with not just this scene here with Kate opening up to Jack and then claiming up, but all the other things I mentioned as well, too, is that I think that this is a common thing that happens in Hollywood, that they had a cut for time and they had to cut things out and just be like, let's just move the story along. Let's not explain why this happened or how or anything like that. And that's what they did. So by themselves, it's usually not a big deal. And I usually dismiss it. But this episode, I just noticed a lot and they really added up. But hey, if this is really the only main issues I have with this episode, this is why I still think it's a really, really good episode. Even if I say that this is the weakest of the four episodes, because it really is, it's still a high quality episode for Marvel. 
Okay, so those are the issues I have with this episode. So let's get that out of the way. And let's take a look at a few scenes and elements that I absolutely loved about this episode. First of all, I thought there were some great parallels here. And there's a lot that I can dive into, but here's a couple that I really want to pull out. First of all, when Clint and Kate sit down with Jack and Eleanor at the dining room table, I don't know if you caught this, but they did a great job of kind of showing parallels and opposites, which Marvel has actually done in quite a bit of movies in the MCU. But here in this scene, what was really funny is that as they were talking about what's been going on and what Kate is doing with Clint, I forget what Kate said exactly, but Eleanor says, in disbelief, you're working on a case together. And at the same time, Jack said, how terrific. Like, he's really excited about that. While Eleanor was showing concern, they look back at each other and like, obviously, they're not on the same page. And we see it play out same way with Kate and Clint when Kate's talking about, yeah, we're best friends and we're partners. And, you know, this is CB1 and all that. And Clint's like, we're not friends. We're not partners. And, you know, <laughs> and he says, it sounds weird because it is. right? So so I thought it was really great just how they're showing, you know, some of that parallels there. Another example I'm going to pull out that I'm sure all of us notice is that Natasha's death and Kate falling over the rooftop, right? And this is a scene where in episode one, we were reminded about Clint feeling guilty for the death of Natasha. And then we go into it a little bit deeper with this episode, right? And so with this episode and the scene where they're at Kate's aunt's apartment, we get a flashback scene where Clint is thinking about his family. He's thinking about his time as Ronan. And then he is also thinking about Nat and how he's holding her you know, trying to make sure that she doesn't fall. But then finally she kicks off and falls to her death, right? And then on the rooftop scene, when Kate gets thrown over the rooftop, everything is in parallel and opposite again here, right? So Clint in the rooftop scene reaches out with his right arm, whereas in the Avengers Endgame, he's actually holding Nat with his left arm, right? And what's really interesting here is that in Endgame, he's actually trying to use his right arm to try to pull her up, but he couldn't reach over because of the grappling wire that was tied to him, right? We also see him looking down and he sees Kate laying there safely, but it's a strong reminder of his traumatic experience and him going through it all over again, basically, right? Like when he was running up to the edge of the rooftop, he was saying, no, 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 no. And you just saw it all coming back again that he just basically just fell short of saying not again. And we just all felt that we all saw that. And Jeremy rendered a great job of just showing that traumatic experience happening to him again. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Clint was talking about losing Nat at the apartment, you probably heard the music that was played in Endgame and Infinity War when they're on Vormir and basically someone had to die in order to get the Soul Stone, right? We also heard that same music being played when he's looking down and looking at Kate. And so it's a nice little audio cue that Marvel put in there to show the connection here. Now, here's another parallel I'm going to point out. Now, this was not in the episode, but in Endgame, Nat, while she's hanging there with Clint, tells Clint, to let her go. She says, let me go. In this episode, when Kate is laying there, she says, pull me up. And again, I think it's kind of a nice parallel where Kate is representing basically a second chance for Clint here by showing all the opposites here, you know, instead of letting her go, you know, pull her up and try to make things right again, basically. So I thought this was a great way that Marvel put this all together. And what's interesting here is because Clint went through this experience again, he clams up immediately and tells Kate to go home and lets her go metaphorically and physically by cutting off her zip line. And I thought it was funny when she gets down to the ground, Kate goes back up to the building, but is really frustrated. And I thought that was just a really funny thing that they add in there because, again, that's a great personality trait of Kate Bishop from the comics. Another great scene that we got from this episode is really for those who are fans or familiar with the comics that this show is based on by Matt Fraction, David Haha, and Matt Hollingsworth. And that is a scene where we see Kate and Clint decorating for Christmas at Kate's aunt's apartment. And I love this because this is a great way to pull in a lot of Easter eggs and elements that we saw from the comics run and made it work really well. I thought it wasn't something that was a cheap device or anything like that. I think it made a lot of sense to do it this way, and they did a great job of this. One of the things that they pulled straight from the comics here is I'm pretty sure the holiday ugly sweaters is from the comics. So the sweaters you saw there, I think, were also the same ones that they wore in the comics. I can't be for sure, though, 100%. I have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure if it's not those sweaters, they did wear holiday sweaters um, in that comic. 
And then we get the part where they talk about the boomerang arrows. And what's really funny here is that the conversation that took place in the episode is actually the reverse in the comic. So Kate's the one that brings up, you know, having boomerang arrows because he's trying to problem solve to talk about how to get the trick arrows back. But in the comics, Kate's asking Clint about this arrow and he says it's a boomerang arrow. And she's looking at him like he's the crazy one for having that. Right. But what's really interesting is that in the comics that does come back and is really useful as part of the story and part of the plot. And then they have a conversation about splitting an arrow with another arrow. Now, in the comics, what's really interesting is that the first time Kate Bishop meets Hawkeye is in a Young Avengers issue. And they have this whole conversation. And Clint basically tells her that same thing that we saw in the episode, that it is possible. And Kate's like, it is not possible. And so he said that if he is able to do it, that she needs to give him his bow back, which is part of the deal. And I'm going to go into that issue um, for this episode, but that's basically the deal. And then Clint splits the arrow, then she has to give him the bow back. And then what's really funny is later in the comics run with the Fraction Aha Hollingsworth run, Kate gets really pissed randomly in the series. I forget what was going on, but she gets really mad at Clint and casually picks up an arrow and splits an arrow that's already in the bullseye in their apartment. And so I thought it was a really great way to call this out. And I wonder if we're going to see this in this series as well, too, later on. And then we also get this scene where Clint shows that he can actually flick a coin and he says that he can knock someone unconscious from 20 feet away. Now, this is also straight from the comics as well, too. And they focused on this for a really long time. So I'm going to stop this right now. And before I move on, I'm going to say that this is a potential spoiler. I'm not saying it's definitely a spoiler because we haven't seen episode five or six yet. But if you don't want to be potentially spoiled about anything, go ahead and skip maybe the next 30 seconds. And... Now, so in the comics, Clint shows Kate how he can actually flick things just like the same way and able to hit like beer bottles and things like that. And we also see Kate in a different issue explain to Clint how collar stays actually helps collar stay down when you have a dress shirt on. And then at the end of the series, we actually see Clint flick that collar stay and struck Kazi in the eye that prevented anybody to get killed at that point. And so what I think is going to happen for this series of Hawkeye, because they focus on Kate learning how to do that, is that Kate's going to be able to do that and do some sort of life-saving event, either in the next episode or episode six. So that's my theory. We'll see if that happens. Now, aside from the comics connection, this scene was also really great because it's another heartfelt moment where all the walls come down between Clint and Kate and they start to bond more because Kate tries to make a Christmas event for Clint since he's missing his family Christmas for her and she's trying to make it up for him in the best way that she can. And he really appreciates that. And in this conversation, Kate asked Clint what was the best shot he took. And we get that whole story about how he said it's actually the one he never took. And that is how he met Nat and how he was sent to take her out and decided that he wasn't going to do that because he got this feeling that she wanted out and he was right. And you can see that it was a really, really big moment for Clint to share that with Kate and that they were bonding over that. And then later on in that same scene, Kate figures out that he's Ronan and asks him about that. And you saw how quickly he closed up again. And I thought this was really cool because this was a really interesting way to see how he deals with guilt in a lot of different ways, right? Because when he was talking about that and when he was talking about losing his family, he was very emotional. He was very upset, you know, was on the verge of tears. It was really bothering him. But then as soon as she talked, but then as soon as she starts talking to him about being Ronan, he got stone cold in his face and his voice and everything. And he was just like, I did what I had to do. People dealt with it in their own ways, and he tried to almost justify it. And I think he's just still trying to deal with that aftermath and trying to make sure that he doesn't have a nervous breakdown because the man is going through a lot of guilt, and I think he has to compartmentalize for some of that stuff here, right? So I thought it was just a great way to show that guilt is handled in a lot of different ways, even just from one person, right? That someone who feels guilty about multiple things, they can handle those different issues of guilt in very different ways. It's not the same for all their guilty issues. And then later on, when Clint is falling asleep, he takes his hearing aid out and you hear in the audio how it sounds when someone's taking it out. And I got to say props to the audio engineering team, because as someone who grew up with hearing aids and was hard of hearing, this is exactly what it sounded like every time I pulled it out of my ear. So they did a great job of nailing that authentic sound of the hearing aid being pulled out. 
And the last thing I'm going to say about this scene is this is a great way of Marvel actually explaining why Clint was called Ronan during those five years of the blip. Now, if you recall, when he's talking to Kate about how he was dealing with the blip, he was talking about how he was usually pointed by the right people in the right direction. And now that those people disappeared from the blip, he had to figure that out on his own. Now, the reason why this ties in with Ronin is if you don't know what the term Ronin means, it's a word from Japan that means a warrior without a leader or a warrior without a master. And I don't know much about the history of this, but I know back then when there was a warrior, they were always paired with a master and that it was kind of looked down on to not have a master. So Ronin wasn't like a great term to have, I don't think. Again, I'm not 100% sure, but I know that's what the term means. So this is a great way for Marvel to show and describe why he became Ronin without actually saying, that's why I started calling myself Ronin, right? But made that connection there, especially if you're familiar with that term. And so the last scene I'm going to talk about from this episode before we start getting to characters and theories and questions we still have is that ending rooftop scene. So the action was pretty good. It's probably not the best one. I don't think anything's going to top episode three with the car chase scene, but this was still a really good action sequence, in my opinion. And I love the part where Kate gets stuck on the zip line between Maya's apartment and to the rooftop on the other building. It's very comical, and I can see that being something that is almost identical to what you would see in the comics that we've seen. And it just kind of, again, connects it all to the comical relationship that Kate and Clint has as being partners here. But I know everybody loves this scene because this is where we get the big reveal that Yelena is the other person on the roof and she's coming after Clint, right? One of the really cool things about the scene is that they were teasing her in this action sequence when she was hitting Maya and Clint with the widow sting that we saw in Black Widow, right? And so I thought this was a nice way for Marvel to kind of put those clues in to get us amped for the big reveal because we all saw that and we were just like, we know it's coming. We know it's her. We just want to see the face. So it was a really, really brilliant way to kind of get us excited about what's about to happen here, right? What I thought was also interesting in this episode is that Yelena was clearly not trying to kill Clint or Kate, especially when she could have just flipped Kate over the rooftop and got rid of her. She actually put her on the zip line to make sure that she got to safety and not kill her. So I think that shows a lot about her motivation is that, Remember, at the end of Black Widow, and again, if you haven't seen Black Widow, I'm sorry, but spoilers, <laughs> um, we saw that Yelena was being contracted by Val to go after Clint and said that Clint was responsible for her sister's death, meaning Natasha. So I think it shows volumes about how Yelena is not trying to kill him right away and is probably trying to get information from him or trying to learn more about what's going on. So I think we're going to see that there's probably going to be some sort of interrogation and they're probably going to get some sort of team up with Yelena here as well, too. And in this scene, we also saw that Kate had an arrow pointing at Yelena, and Yelena looked right back at Kate and shook her head, and Kate relaxed her bow. Now, remember earlier in this episode, Clint was talking about the shot he didn't take, which was his best shot, and that was when he decided not to take out Natasha, and this is going to be Kate's best shot which is the one that she didn't take. And I wonder if this is possibly leading to something in the future. Like maybe both of them will, you know, team up in the future in another series or a young Avengers team that is uh, rumored to be happening. Who knows? But I think this is a really cool way to kind of set up and say that this is going to be a new partnership. That's reflective of Clint and Nat that we might see later on in the MCU. So it's really cool. I really like that. And then the rooftop scene ends with Clint, and then the rooftop scene ends with Clint telling Kate that it's now over and it's very emotional because he talks about how someone hired a Black Widow assassin to come after him. So it got very real, very quick. But you can see in his face and in his eyes that he's tearing up. And because he doesn't want to lose Kate the same way he lost Nat, and you can see that Kate really, really, really doesn't want to be pushed away from him and that wants to be partners. But she's clearly upset about what's going on as well, too. So it's very emotional, but what's interesting is that just earlier, we saw Kate grab the watch from Maya's apartment, and she walked away with the watch without giving it to Clint. So we know in the next episode, Clint's going to have to get it back from her. So he's obviously going to meet up with her again in the next episode. 
So those are some of my favorite scenes from this episode. So let's talk a little bit about characters and some of the updates from this episode. So first of all, let's talk about the LARPers. Again, I love how they brought in LARPers um, for a number of reasons. I still think that LARPing is going to see an increase of enrollment across the nation. I know I looked up a local LARPing community around where I live as well, too. And so I know that's happening all across the nation. Um, we see that Grills is part of this LARPing community from episode two, and that Officer Wendy is also part of this LARPing community. And these two characters are also straight from the comics. And so to give you a little history about the comics is that in the comic, Grills and Wendy are actually tenants of the building that Clint lives in and actually ends up owning the building as well, too, and bought it from the Tracksuit Mafia, which ends up being the whole reason why Tracksuit Mafia is going after them. So, in the comics, they weren't a firefighter or an officer, but there were tenants that's living in the building. But I thought it was a great way to tie this in because now, in this episode, we saw all of them actually show up back at the apartment, which is what we saw in the comics. And I think they might actually show up again, you know, not just Grills and Officer Wendy, but all the other LARPers. I think they'll show up again because in the comics, at the final issue, or I think the final two issues, the tenants of the building actually is part of the plan for Clint to try to fight back against the tracksuit mafia. And so I think we're going to see this again in episode five or six to kind of show that community there and that they're going to try to help one of their heroes, Hawkeye, by being <laughs> LARPers and maybe trying to you know intimidate the tracksuit mafia in the final episode. Who knows? I But I think that's probably what they might be setting up for. So we'll see. And what I really like about this is that this actually sets up how Kate and Clint get their costumes by getting somebody from the LARPing community to create them. Because again, LARPers are really well known for their authentic costuming and props. And so I thought it was a great way for them to tie it in this way. And it's very reminiscent of the Netflix series Daredevil because Daredevil gets his costume in a very similar way where he talks to somebody about making something for him and a couple episodes before the final episode. And that's when we get the big reveal for the costume. So I thought it was a great way and great parallel of how they're connecting that and how they're going to show up in a natural way. So let's talk about Jack Duquesne here for a second. So I had a theory that he might've been Ronan with Clint and that he was the one that took out Maya's father and kills the tracksuit mafia. But the opening of this episode, this looks like this is the first time that Jack and Clint have met each other. So I think I'm obviously wrong about this theory that I had. So mark that off as you know, completely off for Sean. I did see a theory out there that maybe they're just pretending that they haven't seen each other. But I, I just don't buy that because Jack makes a comment about, you know, thanking Clint, you know, for saving the world. Clint had Laura check in to Sloan Limited, and then Laura told him that Jack Duquesne is the CEO, and she gives him the full name. And then Clint tells Kate about Jack being the CEO. And I think that if Clint knew about Jack already, he wouldn't share that information with Kate. There's no need for him to do that. So I just don't buy into the theory that maybe they were just pretending because then it wouldn't make sense for Clint to check in on this and then for him to tell Kate about him being the CEO. So, um, Overall, we're still very unsure about how to feel about Jack here, right? Like, it, there's a nice moment between him and Eleanor, and then Kate starts warming up to him and even enjoys him, actually. And then they tease him about how he gets all of his metaphors wrong, right? And so, in the first couple episodes, we thought that he was going to be the bad guy or the villain, and then we're starting to open up with him, just like how Kate's opening up with him. And so we're just still unsure if this guy is truly a bad guy or if he's just a good guy being taken advantage of here, right? And then, as I mentioned before, we also see that he's listed as the CEO of Sloan Limited, who is the front company for Tracksuit Mafia, and he is laundering money, according to Clint, for the big guy. And there's a theory out there that says Jack might be getting set up by Eleanor, but I don't know how I feel about this because I don't know exactly what would he be set up for. Like, that's just something that doesn't make sense to me, but it's a theory out there that might be something to think about. Um, but again, that's what we know about Jack is that he is listed as the CEO of Sloan Limited. Um, I think it would be interesting if, you know, they're kind of showing him as being kind of naive. And so maybe he's naive about being the CEO, but I don't think it would be a surprise to him that this is a front company either. So I think Jack knows what he's getting himself into, but I don't know if he's actually going to be like a big bad guy or if he's just somebody that's just like a minor boss, right? So let's talk about Eleanor here for a little bit. So she's been very interesting in this whole series, and I don't know how to feel about her just yet either, just like with Jack. Um, she's definitely suspicious, but I don't know what she's suspicious of exactly. I know that she's withholding information. I know that she is 
connecting with people that seem suspicious. And we see a little bit more of that in this episode. They see a big villain in this. That still remains to be seen. But I think she's going to come out and she's definitely not going to be who we all think she is on some level. But with that being said, I think she is a genuinely caring mother because she does show concern for Kate. And I do believe that personally. Um, I know that some people think that she's not acting like a concerned mother, but I think she isn't. And this is why, because we got to remember that Kate's 22 years old right now. So she's an adult. So Eleanor is probably treating her like one. So that's why she hasn't been saying things like, you know, come home right away because she's probably giving Kate her space and letting her be her own person. Because again, she's 22 years old. It'd be different if she was high school. I was even a freshman in college, but the fact that she's about to graduate, I think Eleanor is just trusting Kate to take care of herself at this point. And then I also think that she's being genuinely caring as a mother is because he tried to appeal to Clint standing as a parent to tell him that she cannot lose Kate. And so I think it was a kind of a nice moment to see that, you know, she does care very much for her own daughter, but I'll also go on the record and say that I think this could be something where she doesn't want Kate involved for other reasons. So maybe she was appealing to Clint as a parent, but really as an ulterior motive, she's trying to get Kate out of the equation for whatever reason. Because in this scene, she was very adamant about trying to get Clint to drop the case. And in this entire series, whenever Kate brings up Jack, Eleanor is very quick to change the subject. We see that Kate picks up things very quickly in the series and that she's very investigative, like what we see in the comics, where she becomes a private investigator. And I think that's where the show is going to be heading, is that she actually ends up being a private eye. So maybe she's just really trying to make sure Kate doesn't find out the truth or get involved for other reasons because she knows how Kate can figure things out very quickly. So who knows? We'll see what happens. And then in this episode, Eleanor does make a mysterious phone call after Clint leaves their penthouse. Once she realizes Clint is still going to investigate the situation, right? So she leaves a voicemail and says to that person to give her a call because it's urgent. Now there's some theories out there that thinks that this phone call is being made to Val from Black Widow, who is rumored to also be putting together uh, the Thunderbolts, and that's why Elena showed up. Some people are even saying that Val and Eleanor could be sisters, which means that the apartment that Kate is staying in is Val's apartment, since that would be her aunt, right? Now, I'm not sure if I subscribe to that theory just yet, although it could make sense. Remember in episode two, Eleanor asked Kate where she was staying at and where she got that terrible suit that's black and orange that looks like something from uh, Halloween. And Kate lied to her saying that she was staying at a friend's house or that she got that suit from a friend. So that could make sense here that she didn't want her mom to find out that she's staying at Val's apartment. But my guess is that Kate lied because there's bad blood between the two because Kate wouldn't know that Val is a villain or that her mom's a villain just yet. So I can't imagine Eleanor calling Val if there was bad blood between the two. So I don't think this is the case. Yeah, I think that might be stretching it, but I can see why people are buying into that. And lastly about Eleanor, it does seem like they might be setting her up to be Madame Mass that we're going to get, which is a character from the comics that's one of the arch enemies of Kate Bishop. But I wonder if there's going to be a bigger twist to this somehow. Madame Mask isn't Kate's mom in the comics, but Eleanor was working with Madame Mask. So this wouldn't be too far of a stretch to make this work in the MCU. So we'll see what they do with this. I would not be surprised if they actually make her Madame Mask and kind of retcon that identity. And I think it would make a lot of sense for the MCU if they did it that way. I just don't know if that's what they're setting up yet. Okay, so let's talk about Kate here. So I still love all of her bantering, and I love the friendship and partnership that's developing that she makes with Clint. This is such a great relationship for the both of them because Clint keeps her grounded and teaches her a lot of things, but then Kate reminds Clint of what he brings to the table and reminds him that he is a strong role model for a lot of people, no matter what he thinks about himself as Ronan, right? However, I will be honest in this episode when she keeps telling everyone that, you know, their partner slash best friends and she's on official Avengers business. I thought I was getting a little sick of it because I kept thinking that in the previous episodes she was maturing and that she was going to get out of that starstruck phase and that she was going to see herself more as an equal with Clint, especially after what happened in episode three when Clint tells her that she might be one of the greatest archers in the world. And she sees that she is the reason why Clint is not spending Christmas with his family that she starts to mature here a little bit, but then she comes out and do something like this, right? But then I got to remind myself, maturity 
has many different levels and takes on many different rates as well too, right? She's 22, so she's very young, and this has only been a few days in the series. So people don't tend to grow out of that starstruck experience that quickly, especially when it's their idol and they're that young. So I think this whole thing about her getting really excited about being, you know, partner slash best friends with Clint makes a lot of sense still when I put it in, in perspective there. And I got to say, each episode we get with Haley Steinfeld just shows how she's done a great job as Kate Bishop. She really encompasses that character from the comics and translating it into the MCU with all the character traits that Kate has with the confidence, the skill set, the bantering, the flaws, just everything. She's done a great job with this. And I think she just personifies Kate Bishop and that she was meant for this role. She really was. And then last but not least, let's talk about Clint Barton, Jeremy Renner. Kills it with every episode. And again, this has just been such a great series for his character. We get a glimpse of this in the movies, but this actually does a great job of diving into it and that we grow to love the person of Clint Barton, especially when you remember that he gets teased from the beginning of the MCU as being the weakest Avenger a lot, right? I mean, not flat out, but there's just been a running joke in the fandom that he's the weakest Avenger. So this is a just a nice series to kind of show how strong he is on a lot of different levels, not just as a fighter, but just emotionally and as a person. This has just been a great series for that character. And this gave Clint and Jeremy Renner the opportunity to show some great emotional depth from talking about losing his family and Nat to his time as Ronan. And then finally, when he thought he lost Kate, and then he had to tell her that this was over and how emotional it was because he was clearly afraid of losing her. This was just a great opportunity for Jeremy Renner to explore some of those emotional depths of Clint Barton. And I think he's doing a fantastic job of this, so. So we're going to get to the last part of the episode, which is questions and theories I still have. But before we get to that, I do need to give shout outs to people on our social media. I did ask everybody what they thought about episode four. And this is some of the responses that we got. So we got a response from Trey from the MCU Need to Know podcast on Instagram. He said, this is a good follow-up episode by focusing on the quieter moments before revving it up again. And I got to say, this is actually a great point because you remember episode three, episode three starts off with a lot of action and then starts to end and die down with a slower pace. And then episode four is the exact opposite where it's slow paced at first and then it ends with a high action packed fighting scene. Right. And so I thought this is a good observation from Trey. So great job. The MSY librarian on Twitter said, the chemistry between the two was off, meaning Clint and Kate, which is strange because episode three had the best interactions yet. Also, the scene with Kate, her mom, and Jack seemed forced. Like, why was Kate suddenly happy to see them as a couple? Don't we hate that guy? And I think that's actually the point. And, and this how it, that's exactly how I felt at the beginning of that whole episode as well, too, is I thought we were supposed to not like this guy. It seemed a little bit weird that they, she was opening up. And again, I think this was something that they wanted to develop more. And I think it makes sense because she, this is the first time that Kate actually sees her mom happy with somebody else. And she's always been staying office about Jack. But then she gets that moment where she sees that genuinely happy moment with her mom. And so she opens up to Jack there, right? And I've already talked about that. But I think that's probably why we're getting a little bit confused is that they're purposely making Jack a confusing character for us as an audience. But I think they had to cut things for time. And so we don't get to see that developed in a way that makes a lot more sense. And last, we got a former guest on our show, Jacob Bartlett from the Circle City Ghostbusters on Twitter said, I loved it. It may not have been the most action-packed episode, but there were great character moments and did a great job of setting up the stage for the third act. And I agree completely. I think this is, again, not the best episode, but still very good to set up the next two episodes and beyond. And I think this is just going to kill it. And I've said this before, this is going to be one of the best series that Marvel Studios have put together. So thank you to all of our listeners out there for telling us what you thought about episode four. Now let's get into the questions and theories. So one thing I did want to share that I've noticed with the episode so far is that it follows a pattern. So episode one opens up with the origin story and history and background of Kate Bishop. And then episode two picks up where episode one left off, right? Episode one ends with Kate and Clint meeting for the first time. And then episode two just picks up straight from that. Episode three starts off with the history origins of Maya Lopez and then episode four picks up from the end of episode three, which was Jack holding up the Ronin sword up to Clint's throat. 
So that tells me that episode five, we're probably going to get an origin story, but whose origin story or background story are we going to get? Is it going to be Elena? Is it going to be Eleanor? I think people are going to say we're going to see who the big guy slash uncle is. I don't think we're going to see that episode five. I think they're going to save that for episode six and maybe even towards the end, maybe in an end credit scene. Who knows? But I think if they're going to follow this pattern at all, maybe they'll break away from it. Who knows if they are going to follow this pattern. It's probably going to be either Yelena and get us caught up on what she's been doing since Black Widow, or it might be Eleanor and might reveal a little bit more about what's going on with her character. Next question, who killed Armand? We still don't know. And I don't think it's Jack anymore. You know, I know there's been some hints about it, like especially with the butterscotch. But the more I think about the butterscotch, the more I have to question this theory about Jack being the killer, right? Because again, it seems a little too obvious. But with the butterscotch, you have to think about how did Jack know that Kate even saw the butterscotch in the apartment at all? Like he would have to be there basically watching her the whole time in order to know that she saw the butterscotch for him to offer it to her, right? So I don't think it's Jack, but I still have no idea who it is. And really, will it come back into play? Who knows? Like, maybe they'll just drop it and be like, who cares, you know, that Armand's dead? It was just a plot device, right? And so, you know, they, they've done that before. I wouldn't be too surprised. And honestly, I think if they do it that way, I don't think people are going to get upset. I think people want to know who did it. Um, and how they reveal that, I don't know. But I think they will reveal who killed Armand. But again, if they don't, it's not a big deal, I don't think so. Now, is Derek Bishop really dead? I brought this question up many times, and I think he really is dead, to be honest. like I think he is. I don't think there's any question about that. I think it would be too messy to explain if he was still alive. Like, how did he fake his death? And if Eleanor knows he's still alive, why keep it from Kate? And then how would that work with her engaged to Jack? I think it would be really weird if she's like, this is my husband, but he's dead, but he's not really, and I've known that, but I'm going to get engaged to Jack here. I think it would be really weird to explain that for the MCU. But if he really is dead, I think one of the things that we have to think about is, did he die from the New York attack, or did Eleanor take advantage of the situation and kill them off? I think that's something to consider, right? The other thing to think about is, we're seeing little hints that Jack is a little bit shady and Eleanor is a little bit shady. So now I'm wondering, are they in it together? And I think it might even make sense once we think about who the big guy is, because I think they both might be reporting to the same guy. And maybe that's how they met. This is a workplace romance, right? Is that they're both, you know, committing crimes and they fell in love, right? Common story in superhero and villain shows, right? So here's the next question that everyone's been talking about. Is uncle slash the big guy, Wilson Fisk? And I got to be honest, I don't know if it's not Wilson Fisk, who it would be. I think I said in a previous episode that maybe it's Derek Bishop. But again, the fact that they haven't really explained a whole lot about Derek Bishop or even alluded to this, I think the closer we get to episode six, the more sense it makes that it's actually Wilson Fisk. So it'll be really interesting to see how they reveal this. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially since we know that there's going to be an Echo series that's about Maya Lopez. So I think all the arrows are pointing in that direction. And I know I've mentioned before, I hope we're not getting Ralph Bonard here, but I don't think we are because with everything else that we're seeing beyond this show, Makes a lot of sense that it would be Wilson Fisk. Whereas when we got Ralph Bonard in <laughs> WandaVision, um, the only thing that we got was that we knew the X-Men were going to come into the MCU, but that was about it. And so I think that we're definitely going to get Wilson Fisk here. Now, the big thing that's been on everyone's mind here is the watch, the Rolex. What is up with this, right? So here's what we know from this episode from watching. We know that Clint thought it was destroyed years ago. And he asked Laura about this, which almost makes it seem like that when he was asking her that he was trying to get her to confirm this. So it seems like the watch has more to do with Clint and Laura here. It seems like that. We also know that Clint said the watch belonged to a friend. He's telling this to Kate while she's breaking into Maya's apartment, but he said that it belongs to a friend. He does say that he's out of the game, meaning the person that owned the Rolex, but it's still tied to their identity. If anyone else finds out about that person, it'd be good by a friend. So this means that it's somebody that is no longer in service and that people probably doesn't think exists anymore for whatever reason, right? So that's what it seems like it's alluding to here. And then we also know that when Kate finds the watch, it's next to a list that Maya has of Clint's family. 
and that Maya is also the one that told the tracksuit mafia to get the watch as well, too. Now, was it her or was she being ordered by the big guy or Wilson Fisk? And that's something that people are speculating. So here are the theories that are out there that I want to touch base on real quick. So one theory out there is that it is Tony Stark's watch from Civil War and that Wilson Fisk might want it to get the technology. Now, this doesn't line up with what Clint said, though, because Tony's dead and Clint implies that this person is still alive. So I don't think this theory holds up very well at all. Another theory that's out there is that Stark's watch was used as a tracker for vision. And as you remember, in Affinity War, we found out that they were tracking him and then all of a sudden he turned his tracker off. So maybe, but I think it'd be really weird for Clinton Lord to be involved in tracking vision. And why would they have been responsible for it? And what made them think of the watch? You know, like he, he wasn't really involved with tracking vision, especially with everything that happened at the aftermath of Civil War. So I think it just doesn't really make any sense for them to do that. And they don't know about white vision because this is what people are saying is that maybe Wilson Fisk wants that watch to track white vision and then to manipulate and control him. Right. But it still just doesn't make sense because Clint probably doesn't know about white vision since that's probably under wraps still. And so I think that theory doesn't really hold up either. Now, here's the most popular theory that's out there. People are saying that this watch is tied to Laura and that it shows Laura's location while she was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And she since then has retired. So that explains why she is out of the game. Although, remember, Clint says he but you can make an argument that he's probably saying that just to throw Kate off and not tell her the whole truth, right? People are also saying that she is Mockingbird. Now, if you don't know who Mockingbird is, Mockingbird is a character from the comics. Now, it kind of strays away from the comics a little bit because Mockingbird was actually someone named Bobby Norse, but she was married and divorced to Clint Barton. So this is where people are thinking that they're going to make Lord Barton Mockingbird, or maybe Laura is a fake name and that her real name is Bobby Norris, but she took on Laura as witness protection or whatever, right? So that is the most popular theory. Now, I'm going to tell you why I don't think this is the case at all. And I'm usually somebody that I will be open to any theory, but this is the one I will die on the hill for to say that I don't think this makes any sense at all whatsoever. And I'll break down. Here's why. So remember, we got introduced to Clint's family, including his wife, Laura, who is already has two kids and is pregnant with the third one during the Age of Ultron event. And it was after this event, Age of Ultron, that the Avengers compound was created. So it wouldn't make sense to have the watch there at the Avengers compound if she was already no longer in service, right? It wouldn't make sense for them to have the watch there. Then let's think about this from a writing perspective, okay? So let's not think about how this fits into the narrative of MCU, but let's think about if you were a writer for the series. We only have two more episodes left to resolve a lot of stuff, like Elena being hired to get Clint, Maya's revenge for her father, finding out who the big guy slash uncle is, who killed Armand if they even do that, reveal more about Jack and Eleanor and their role, etc. So they have a lot to go through in the next two episodes. It doesn't make sense to add this sort of detail to the story. And here's why. If Laura was revealed to be Mockingbird, I would have to ask, okay, so what, right? Like, what does that have to do to develop the story? I really doubt that they're going to have a spinoff series about her. And with two episodes left, what are you going to do to explain what this means with her being Mockingbird? Like, I just think that throwing this detail in there just doesn't make sense. And that's going to be a throwaway. So I don't think that's going to happen. Here's the other thing is that people are saying, well, the watch puts her in danger now, as he explained. And so it makes more sense why she would be Mockingbird, because why would she be in danger? Well, here's the other thing I need to point out is remember that Clint already said that his suit, his Ronin suit, connects his family to it. So the suit is already putting them in danger. So why would you write in a connection to the watch to say that he's now in danger if they're already in danger because of the Ronin suit? I think that's just adding a lot more details than necessary. So I'm just not completely convinced that she is Mockingbird at this point. 
Now, that being said, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, then I'll own up to it in the next episode review or episode six review. Um, and that said, I really don't have any theory about the significance of the watch if that's not the case, right? And my mind did go rampant on what it could be or who it could be. Maybe it's Nick Fury. He's out of the game. People think that he's dead, right? And so maybe it's going to be setting up for secret evasion. Who knows? Maybe Kate Bishop's not dead dad. I don't think he's alive still. I think he actually is dead. So, but my mind went there. Maybe it's someone we haven't met yet. Like maybe it's Barney, which is Clint Barton's brother, who is also a skilled archer that we know from the comics. So maybe it's just somebody we haven't met yet. So who knows? Those are the things I have in my mind. I don't think it's pointing to Laura being Mockingbird. And I know she spoke German, but you can explain that in a lot of different ways. Like, Maybe Laura was actually from Germany and maybe she was saying that just to make sure that the kids didn't hear what she said. Right. So. So we'll see. And the last question that everyone's asking and theorizing is Clint going to die at the end of the series. And I have to say, I really doubt it. And I really personally hope they don't. And I'll be honest, if they do, like this will not be my favorite show anymore because I really want Clint to be alive at the end of this. But I don't think they're going to do it because to kill off a father of a family and now loved character in the MCU right before Christmas, just in terms of marketing and imaging for Disney would just be terrible. So just from that perspective alone, I don't think they're going to do that. I also don't think that they're going to show all this effort for him to reunite with his family from Infinity War and Endgame just to kill him off. I think that would also do a disservice to Nat's sacrifice as well, too. So I think they would have a lot more to lose from than to gain with killing off Clint. But since I think he's going to stay alive, they do have to reconcile the fact that Clint Barton was Ronan, especially with Maya's father being killed. So how will they make that make sense and have people come to forgive him for doing that stuff, right? So again, maybe Clint wasn't the Ronin that killed Maya's father. Maybe there's a way that they're going to explain that. So we'll need to know who did this still. But remember, he still knew about the event because he explained that to Kate. So he knows that Ronan killed Maya's father on some level. So we'll just have to see how they handled that. But one thing that could work, at least for Maya's father, I don't think it'll make, it might work for all the other people that he killed as Ronin, but at least to try to reconcile with Maya and Clint for Maya's father's death is that in the comics, Maya Lopez was told by Kingpin, AKA Wilson Fisk, right? That daredevil killed her father because Kingpin actually took her as his adopted daughter and told her that daredevil killed her biological father. And so she wanted revenge on daredevil, but then when she meets up with him, she finds out that it was Kingpin who actually hired somebody else to set up the hit on her father. And that Daredevil wasn't involved at all. And so she ends up going after him. So that's probably how they're going to set up Echo. And that's why they're going to introduce Wilson Fisk as he's going to show up in that series as well, too. So maybe for this series, Clint finds out that Kingpin lied to him or to whoever was Ronan about the, what the tracksuit mafia was doing. And then he shares that information with Maya and then reveals that he's sorry about all of that. And if he had known, he wouldn't have done it, right? And then that puts Maya on the path of going after Kingpin. So I don't think it's a great way to hold it up, but I think it would make sense from knowing the comics background. So we'll see. I, I don't know how they're going to do this, and I'll be really impressed if they do it in such a way that makes a lot of sense that's not terrible writing. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts and review for Hawkeye Episode 4, Partners Am I Right? You can also find my review of this episode for Comic Watch, which I'll link in the show notes below. If you have anything that you want to share with me about this show or about this episode, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. My username is at the Sean Hulk, or you can contact me through our podcast social media handles as well, whichever makes sense for you. We'd love to hear from all of you. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out and tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 